so there is a uh, television show <clears throat> that um, causes me to laugh harder than most television shows out there, and it's a, it follows the journey of these four best friends since childhood, and all they do, it's a, it's a reality show, and all they do is mess with each other. And uh, so these four guys, they come up with all of these improv games, and so they, they put an earpiece in the guy who's up, and basically this guy, whatever scenario he's in, has to say or do whatever the guys in the microphone in the back room tell them to say or do. It is incredibly awkward and incredibly hilarious. Uh, and so I, I brought you a clip because I want you to pay attention to what goes on within the guy who's being told what to do. And so he's actually uh, going to be uh, have a little earbud in his ear and he has to do or say whatever his friends tell him to do. So here you go. So today we're here at Twinkle Place Mace for Kids. That's right. You know what parents love? They love when other parents try to do their job for them. Yeah, and Joe, you're the only parent amongst us, and you're always talking about, I'm a parent, I'm a parent, I'm, I'm a I? parent. So get in there and parent other people's kids. These are my three children. <laughs> this is a play space for kids and their parents. Parents that bring their kids here are good parents. Joe doesn't think so. <laughs> Oh, is that woman texting? You can't keep your eyes on your kids when you're texting, Joe. That's right. What's your secret? Four. Texting and, wa and watching a child at the same time. <laughs> no! I just do it. <laughs> Alexia, I have no idea where she is when I'm here. Well, you, you might know if you weren't texting. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to keep... It's hard to keep track of them sometimes when you're when they're running around because it's a big space. Yeah, in the line. Easier when you you know. <laughs> easier when you're not texting. It's definitely easier when you're not texting to keep an eye on. Alexia. 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 <laughs> uh oh, Joe. Looks like someone else is on their phone. You gotta make sure you. And paying attention to what hap what happens out there. So, because you look down once, it's like it's like texting and driving. <laughs> Are you just a nanny? <laughs> Are you just a guardian, or? Huh? Oh, he's your son. I've seen nannies text. Never seen a parent. <laughs> <laughs> no, because sometimes I see nannies text. <laughs> Never seen really a parent do it. <laughs> Go to the kid. Did you get hurt while mommy was texting? <laughs> Did he get hurt when mommy was texting? What happened? <laughs> she walked away. <laughs> uh, oh, man. What I love about this, this imagery is how clearly you can see the conflict going on in him. Like the moment of, do I say this or do I not? Do I do what they've asked me to do or do I not? Do I risk getting punched in the face or do I say what they, do I win the task? And the, I mean, the game show is basically built around, they try and put them in uncomfortable situations and if they refuse to do what they're told, they lose the challenge and at the end, they're the one who gets the punishment and all that stuff. But what my favorite part of that is just the visible conflict 
And I feel like the longer you are in the journey with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and, and if, the, if the book of Acts is correct and he is sending us out, the conflict becomes more visible in our lives. We become more aware of it. And so the first week we talked about this new power that, that the Holy Spirit, like after Jesus rose from the dead, he told the disciples to stay put. Don't even try and do what I'm going to ask you to do until the Holy Spirit comes. And it's good that I go away because you are not going to just need me somewhere else. You're going to need the, the power of God dwelling in you to do what you've been asked to do. And so we see the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts just comes powerfully and fills them up. And what does he do? He sends them out. And so last week, Joel talked about the new life that the apostles and the disciples and the church was beginning to live together. And it was one of selflessness that the power of the, 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 the Holy Spirit was causing these people to sacrificially give their lives away. The way he described the new life was different than the usual, but better than before. And I love that picture. I love, it's different. The way that they were living among those around them was different. Um, you can read letters written by people who were not Christ followers trying to describe the strangeness that is the Christian and ultimately, as Rome is burning and people are running out, Christ followers were running in. This is an incredible description of the people who understood that God had given them everything they need and they would be able to trust him with their lives, even if it led to death. And this week, we're looking at the new conflict. And I want to see if you can spot the conflict as we just kind of do a flyover in the book of Acts. Peter and John had gotten in trouble because they had experienced the risen Christ. They had seen him. They had walked with him. They had journeyed with him. And now they were telling the world about Jesus. They were telling their, their people. They were telling these people who had every reason to go shut up. They were so sure of who Jesus was and what he had done that they were willing to speak in the face of great conflict. In Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 19, as they've been told to be quiet... But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Now the authorities later on in Acts chapter 5 find out that the apostles are continuing to say the things and talk about Jesus. In, verse five, or in chapter 5, starting in verse 28, they send guards to arrest them and they say these things. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. He said, instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death? But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. It's interesting because after this encounter, one of the more famous religious leaders in the day and in the city stands up and goes, guys, we just need to let these disciples do what they're going to do. Let's not kill them. Let's not do anything. You guys remember all the different revolutions that we've lived through, and they got squashed, and their leaders got killed, and their, um, their disciples got dispersed, and so it's not a big deal. And the, the whole thing is, if this is actually from God, we're going to be fighting against God, and that's not what we want. So let's just let them go. Let's beat them lightly. Let's insult them. Let's Let's tell them a good slap on the wrist and then let's send them out. And after those words were spoken, in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, they've just experienced a light beating. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised one of God to rescue the people. That's that, that phrase, Messiah, anointed one, the one that God had promised in the Old Testament. See, I know there are some of you in this room who are probably like, Old Testament, don't want to have anything to do with it. New Testament, I like. God part one, he's angry, I don't understand him. God part two, I like him. He's Jesus, he's good, he loves. I get that. You can't just do that. The whole story from Genesis to Revelation is, connect, Revelation is connected, and God has announced in Genesis 3, a rescuer. Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples were saying, you need look no further for a rescuer. He has come, he has lived, he has died, he has risen from the dead, he has ascended, and he will return. This is the one you want to put your trust in. Don't run anywhere else. And in the book of Acts, it also records the story of Saul, one of the greatest persecutors of the Christian movement, the one who held the coats of those who stoned Christ followers. It was, he was on journeys to shut down these churches that were proclaiming the way in Jesus. He was on his way to see that these people were squashed. He saw them as a cult. He saw them as people who didn't know what they were doing. He saw them as people who were blasphemers. And on his journey, he's halted by Christ. And Saul is actually told by Jesus that you're going to live your life telling my story. Now, I love the conflict that shows up in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 10. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. I love verse 13. Here's the conflict. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Are you seeing the conflict? And later towards the book of Acts, toward the end of the book of Acts, where Paul knows he must go to Rome. He must go to the place so that he can proclaim the gospel clearly to people who have not heard. He knows that it could cost him his life. And on his way there, he's taken by guards, put on a boat, and this boat encounters a storm. And the sailors are and the sailors are, are scared. They're thinking everybody's going to die. And the Lord actually tells, tells Paul at this point, look, you're not going to die, but you are going to be shipwrecked. <laughs> Congratulations. But no one will die. And Paul responds this way in verse 25 of chapter 27. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said. So do you see the common denominator in the conflict that is presented in the book of Acts? Did you see the common denominator that Peter and John experienced Paul, the apostles, Ananias, I believe it can be summed up in one sentence found in Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. If there's one thing I could hope and pray that my children will begin to understand at a very young age, is that, that, that leaning on our own understanding finds us in trouble more often than not. 
book of Proverbs is an incredible invitation for us to observe the way the world works and to consider life with God and to consider it without him. And in the book of Acts, we see, and then this begins this historical boldness that the church lives until today. Had the church said, you know what, we're going to lean on our own understanding. You and I may not be sitting here. You You and I may not know the story of Jesus being the Messiah, but something changed in these people that when there was a reason to cut and run, when there was a reason to get out, when there was a reason to go, I don't think any Messiah is worth this. They did not. Something shifted and something changed, but the conflict still remained. We don't want to lift these disciples or apostles up into this super world of, of they were so much stronger than we are. And the truth is they have access to the same Holy Spirit that we do. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in you and I by faith. So when we're sitting there going, oh, it's all the, the apostles, the disciples. Well, they were so much smarter and braver, and everybody knew they were uneducated men who only they had, all that they had was that they had hung out with Jesus. And all they were doing was speaking of all that they had seen and heard. So when we see that the early church and what they asked, what we were asked for today, it is the exact same thing, and that is to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Now, to trust in the Lord, trusting could be described as putting your heart in the hands of another. Putting your heart in the hands of another. Can you see how this is not just a religious act? I think we always talk about people being trusting and, oh, there's just less religious people. No, there is something about the human nature that all we want to do is hand our heart to something. We want to be the ones who say, take this. And lead me. Take this thing and, 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 and take me somewhere. It's a human condition. It's not just a religious thing. It's not just a Christian thing. It is a human experience. And when we say putting our heart in the hands of another, I'm not just talking about human beings, although we do give a lot of weight to human beings in our lives. Sixth grade girls willing to hand their heart to immature ridiculous, confused at who they are, sixth grade boys. Can you see the problem with handing your heart to someone who doesn't know who they are? Is. But it's what we do. It's the human condition. And, and, and here, maybe, maybe this is where you, you fit in. Maybe you've gone, you know what? Money, I've seen how you've provided for the rest of the world. I want you to take this and lead me. You know what happens is you become about money. You put your heart in the hands of money, it'll take you where money wants to go. And unfortunately, it breaks those who follow. What about the job? All right, job, take me where you will. Take me where you will, job, because I see everybody that has the good job has everything they need. And, and you know what? I don't care if it causes me to step away from my family more, or step away from my community of believers more, or step away from small group involvement more. I don't really care because, job, you have my heart. Sports, right? You know, I actually, my sophomore year of college, I took a, a, a literature class it was my, my third English class or whatever I needed to take. And I kid you not, the professor in that class said, I want you to know 
that your tests and my mood will be determined by University of Tennessee football and their win-loss column this year. Thankfully, God was on my side and UT won the national championship that year. I kid you not, our tests were like three questions. His mood was way up here. I was fearful because he was serious. He was absolutely 100% serious that he had handed his heart to UT football and his emotions and his actions and the way he taught his students. Everything would be affected by this football team. Praise be to God that UT won that year. Uh, And I I aced that class. (laughs) Truly did. What about family? If I can just have the perfect family, take my heart, family, I wish we understood the crushing weight of worshiping our family. I wish we understood the crushing weight of wanting our children never to mess up, to be perfect, to have access to everything, our spouse to be the perfect spouse, our spouse to be the one that completes us, our spouse to be the one who makes us feel like we're the the best thing that there is. I wish we understood the crushing weight of worshiping our families. Because it's not fair to put that amount of worship on any human being. No human being can carry that load. Some of you have felt the breaking and the recognition that, man, I put my heart in the hands of this person and it broke. That's because the thing about humans is we're broken. We say the wrong thing, we do the wrong thing, we lead the wrong way. We make promises that we don't keep. It doesn't mean you don't trust people. It doesn't mean that you don't, you're not willing to invest your life with somebody. It's just knowing that God is the one who was meant to hold our heart. What about romance, right? Like that's all I see on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. It's like the perfect guy. I just want a guy who does these things. Just want a girl who does these things. That's you saying, romance, take this little piece of my heart, lead me where you will. It will tell, uh, at least my Facebook and my Instagram posts will declare what I've chased after. What about power? Take this power, lead me where you will. I will crush those who come in my path. I will dress the the part, I will act the part. I will let no one tell me who I am. I will let no one tell me what to do. I will let power lead me where I should go. The beautiful thing about the book of Proverbs is it's not just a book that tells you to put your head in the sand and trust God. The book actually implies and tells us, look around the world and consider these actions. Consider living life without God and see where it leads people and consider life with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and wisdom is not just head knowledge. Wisdom is this combination of of my experience, my perspective uh, and, and where I've been and all these things. And here's the deal with human wisdom, we're limited. We don't have all knowledge. We don't have all perspective. We don't have all experience. And yet somehow we think we do. And the book of Proverbs goes, you don't, but God does. 
And so it's best that we put our heart in his hands. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. The writer of Proverbs is not just saying, hey, tip your hat and go, hey, God, glad you exist. I think that's part of it. Part of our journey to coming to know God is acknowledging that he exists. But then the practical, logical next questions are, what is he like? What does he demand of us? What is his plan? Where is he headed? Where is he taking us? What will all things, when, when all things are said and done, what is God wrapping things up for? And as you begin to read through the scriptures, you see this plan revealed. You see these things revealed. But I guess the question becomes, why would the New Testament believers trust in the Lord with all their heart and lean not on their own understanding? Why would these disciples lay down their lives? Why would all of them except for one be willing to be martyred for what they had seen and heard? Why would they do this? Why in a day and an age where the culture is saying, hey, just cut and run, where the culture is saying, hey, you know what? What you believe is stupid, so just shut up. Why would we not do that? Because it makes sense, right? Because we don't like conflict, so I don't want to say anything or do anything or think anything that's going to be wrong because the culture is telling me I have to be the same as them. I have to look and act just and say and do and everything that they're doing, so why not just do that? Why would the New Testament believers continue declaring that Jesus is the Messiah? Because the gospel that had been declared to them did not firstly change what they did. The gospel changed who they are. And if you want to use the word fundamental, I know we don't like that word, but the fundamental elements of Christianity is not firstly changing what you or I do or say, it's changing who we are. The Christ followers were now hearing a message. Those people who thought they had no shot with God were now being told that forgiveness of sin was made possible once and for all by faith in Christ's finished work. These people who did not think that they could be made whole outside of trying to get all that they could, they were now being told that you could be whole. These people who thought they were condemned because of their past were able to say, no, you are forgiven. These people who were told, hey, you know what? I'm, I, my, I know I'm spiritually dead. I am out there. I'm wrong. But to be told that I could be made alive. The scripture speaks that everyone is born physically alive, but that we are all, all born spiritually dead. And we're all trying to wake ourselves up spiritually. We're all trying to do these things, buying crystals and, and saying these things and burning incense and looking to all these other things to somehow bring spiritual life to life. And Jesus is saying, I'm how that's possible. Being born again of the Spirit. So this is the work of God. This is not the work of man. This is not, we can't work it up in us. Come alive, Jason, come alive. No, it doesn't work that way. It's the Holy Spirit bringing dead people to life. It changes who we are. For those of us who are wandering and orphans, we now have a new family. Imperfect family, albeit, right? We look around and go, oh, okay. Great, thanks for making me journey with them. And more importantly, for the Christ follower... They had been given an unending hope. Human beings cannot live without hope. 
And this hope is something eternal. It's something that was sealed up for us in the past. A past historical act, one man's life, death, and resurrection seals up for us a permanent hope. The gospel doesn't firstly change what we do or say. The gospel changes who we are. Now, Rocky, if you will come and do the thing I asked you to do. There is a uh, Christian understanding that I hope you will walk out of here knowing and, and desiring to know more about if you do not. But a long time ago, when I first started in student ministry, I had, I had seen so much of, of, of a certain style of student ministry. And it looked like this, and I just drew a triangle, I don't know why, but this is kind of how it looked. Three chunks. And when you're in student ministry, all parents want you to tell their kids to do is to be good. <laughs> I've learned that. I have learned that when you're in student ministry, parents expect the youth pastor to be the one that makes sure their kid doesn't smoke dope, sleep around, go to parties, do the bad things. I have learned this. This is what was expected. And so really, the way everyone wanted student ministry to work when I was there was... So when I, what I realized was that parents were super concerned about this. This is where everyone wanted their kid to behave. If my kid will just be good, then I'll feel good. And then I will make sure that we don't complain to, you, uh, to the senior pastor about you, Jason, um, because our kid hates church. He hates everything about church, uh, and that's your fault, Jason, because uh, you didn't wear baggy enough jinkos. You didn't learn to skateboard. Um, you didn't wear your hat backwards. Um, you didn't wear enough what would Jesus do bracelets. Uh, so our kids hate everything, uh, and it's your fault. Uh, okay, so here. Um, and this is what I saw was kind of how they were wanting. Oh, yeah, and don't forget to tell our kids about what Jesus has done. All right, as long as they do this, and they're good here, but just remember to, 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 to just, you know, Throw Jesus in every once in a while, but, but mostly don't smoke. Like, that's really what we want. All right? Um, what I began to learn, but this would not fuel the mission of God. When I read the book of Acts, I look at that and go, I, there is no person too young or too old to respond and obey the command to go and make disciples of all the nations. There is no person in middle school or high school too young to understand, to begin to understand who they are in Christ. And so as I was sitting there looking at this, I was like, you know what? We got to change some things. We got to change some things. So we can, we, can, we can change this to if we can spend more time here... So what ends up happening is if I'm reinforcing all the, 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 the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and people are beginning to go, you know what, the conflict is real. I don't believe that I am who Jesus says I am, but I'm going to need people in my life to remind me that he has done and finished everything he has said and done. So my identity is where we really need to spend our time. And as we grow in who we are in Christ, somehow our character begins to change. You know what it's called? The fruit of the Spirit begins. I mean, you wish it was faster. It's not. It's slow. So sometimes it's like. 
We wish it was faster than it really, really is, but it's not. But as we see our character begins to be transformed into the image of Christ, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more time we sit with him and we go, I would do it one way, but Jesus, you keep doing things differently. How is that possible? And you sit with other believers who have been farther along in their understanding of what Jesus has done. There's this character thing that begins to be transformed. And selfishly, I really prayed that God would cause these teenagers to make decisions that would glorify God. But we, when, we, when we try and work it the other way and we spend all our time on decisions, people are like, why? Why should I do the right thing? Why should I say the right thing? Why should I care about the mission of God? Why should I care about the gospel? Why should, oh, oh yeah, that's right. He made dead people alive. Oh, that's, that's right. Where there was condemnation, there's now forgiveness. Oh, that's right. Where there was no hope, there is hope now. You see, unfortunately... If we believe that this is all God is after, you and I are going to run with that good girl, good guy concept, and we're going to be like, I'm tired of just being the goody two-shoes. But as we sit together and are reminded of the work of Christ and who we are, that he transforms us into the people he's called us to be, all of this starts getting dealt with. Rocky, you may come and remove the board. Thank you. What does this mean? If life is all about your decisions and what you must do and what you must make happen and you have to make things happen and you have to decide the right thing, middle school and high school students, look at me. If life is about you, don't stick your neck out for other people on your campus. If life is about you, don't step up and say, man, I would love to pray for these teachers. Don't, because your reputation is on the line and you don't want to do anything to screw up your reputation. If life is about you, lean on your own understanding and live that way. Business people in this room, if you need to lean on your own understanding because it is all about you and you are the final stop, be greedy. Be harsh. Crush your employees and the competition. Because if life is about you leaning on your understanding, there's no reason to live any other way. Single folks. If life is all about you, don't commit to anything. If life is all about you, keep your options open. Don't invest in anyone. If life is all about you, you might miss something, so don't commit to anything. Parents, if life is all about you on your understanding, then it makes sense to keep posting that life is perfect on the internet. If it is, if leaning on your own understanding is all we have, then don't tell people you struggle as a parent. Don't tell people that you're struggling raising your kids. Don't tell anyone anything because it is all about you and you're not really a good parent unless someone else thinks you're a good parent. Right? <sighs> Retired folks. If life really is about us leaning on our own, our own understanding, pack up shop, keep all your things, take it somewhere far away where you don't have to interact with the next generation, keep it all to yourself. If it is 
about you leaning on your own understanding. But if the gospel is true, if what Jesus has done is true, and what Jesus has said is true, and if God is who he says he is, therefore I am who he says I am, then every one of you middle school and high school students, you can risk your reputation because it's not really about you. You can stand in the gap for those at your school who may or may, get bu- may, or may not get bullied, may who get made fun of. You have an opportunity to step in on your school campus and lead kids and teenagers and even adults in understanding that God loves them, that Christ is enough. And you may sit around a table with people who mock you all day long, but because you know Jesus has covered you, yeah, you'll take those blows, you'll take those punches, but you'll get back with the Christ followers and you'll sit with them and go, man... My week was really tough. It was really hard. It was really hard to sit at that table with people who disagree with everything I believe and love. But Jesus is enough. Business folks, if, if we are to put our heart in the hands of God because he is trustworthy, then you can be generous. You can reflect the heart of a father in a day and an age that says crush the competition. In a day and an age that says, ah, you can cheat on this or that or the other. You can do that. You can say, no, my heart is in the hands of the Father. And I know that he loves me and he's covered me and he's got me. And I want to bring him glory in everything that I do. Single people, if the gospel is true, take a risk and plant yourself. Take a risk and invest your life in the life of others. Don't see singleness as a bad thing. And I hope you, you don't in the culture and the way that there's an acting towards and a talking about. Don't see it as this gift that God has given you to use your life investing in people and in places and in groups of people and not going, where's the greener grass? Because there is no greener grass. God makes us lay down in the green grass. He is the good shepherd. If I can trust him with my heart, I can trust him with everything. Parents, if you can trust him with your heart, you can risk being weak and authentic. You can risk sitting in a small group and going, man, I have wanted to get in my car and drive for hours away from my kids. I don't know how to do this. It's hard, it's not easy, it's difficult. I want to pack up shop, but I trust that God has my heart and he is where I will put my heart in his hands. Retired people risk not buying into the it's all about you now. Be willing to risk investing in the next generation, investing in the youngers who need to know what it means to walk through difficult times putting your heart in the hands of a faithful God. As the band comes and we close this morning, why does this all matter? Because if you haven't recognized it yet, the conflict remains. Not just when you go, oh Jesus, I found that you are good, you're enough, you are everything we need, you are everything I want. (laughs) It's not like this like, Sprinkle of, now it's not going to be hard. It's actually you've been introduced to the conflict. Do I glorify God? Do I trust him with all that I am? Or do I lean on my own understanding? 
The Christ followers made it a practice to gather with believers and then to scatter. They made it a practice to come and worship and to go and live. And many times, I bet, I bet you, their prayers for each other might have looked like your and my prayer life when we sit with folks. I've heard your prayers. There's a job promotion. It's offering tons of money, but I know it will take me from my family and my community. Would you pray for me? The other kids at my school are so aggressive about what they think, and I want to mention Jesus. I just don't know how to do it, and it freaks me out. Would you pray for me? The world around me is saying that sexual freedom or my sexual identity is more important than what Jesus has to speak over me. And I'm really struggling with that tension right now. Would you please pray for me? So-and-so really hurt me. I want to forgive them, but right now, I can't. Would you pray for me? I know that God's word says I am who he says I am. But right now, I feel like a total failure. Would you pray for me? My past mistakes are standing up loud in my face, and I've heard that I'm new. I've heard what the gospel has to declare. I'm having a really hard time believing that right now. Would you pray for me? People around me are just caving in and running to safety. I want to risk more of my life for the gospel, but I'm freaked out by it right now. Would you pray for me? The conflict will not magically go away. Do I trust in the Lord with all my heart and reject leaning on my own understanding? Or do I go with what I feel? Do I lean on my own understanding? Every time you and I gather, it's a reminder that the conflict is going on. Every time we gather for worship, every time we make a declaration about who Jesus is, every time we sing these songs, every time we sit in small groups, we are making a declaration that we want to take our heart or what's left of it and put those pieces in the hands of God. And this is where we love hearing him say, don't worry, if you can't find all the pieces, I'll give you a new one. Don't worry about going and looking for all the little pieces that you've spread out. Give me what you've got left. I'll make it new. This is why Jesus came declaring in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. That's going to be the struggle until we take our last breath, enter into eternity. That's why repentance is a gift to believers. It's a gift to you and I when we've recognized, oh man, I have been leaning on my own understanding. God, thank you that Jesus has victory over the conflict and that my faith is placed in the one who has made this possible. So this morning as we close, there'll be some folks standing over here who are just ready to receive you and pray for you. Just, you may not even have to say a word, just say pray for me and they can. I'll be standing over here. If you've never even heard of this conflict, you've never even considered trusting Christ, then I'd love to begin a conversation with you as well. 
And we're going to be taking what is called communion around this room. There will be some folks holding some plates and a cup. That bread and that juice representing Jesus, his body and his blood. I'm putting my heart in your hands. When I take that meal, that's what I'm saying. Jesus, I've put my heart in your hands. I'm trusting that your work is enough and that my own understanding is loud and clear right now, but I don't want to follow because I know where that's going to take me. I want to honor you with my life. If you're still struggling or wrestling, you don't have to take this meal. But for those of you that have put your trust in his finished work, let's break bread. Let's be obedient to the scriptures. Every time we take this bread and this juice, we declare his death until he comes again. Let's do that together. Father, we love you. And I just ask that in these next few moments that you would be honored by the words that we sing, the prayers that are prayed, the meal that is shared. Would you shape our hearts? Would you give us new hearts? And Lord, would we be, one, we be the people who would trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Would you fuel that church? It's in your name we pray.